You're listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Talk Daredevil, a Daredevil podcast brought to you by the team behind the Save Daredevil campaign. I'm Mary, a member of the Save Daredevil team, and I have two guests with me today. Monique, who some of you may know as the artist Mogigi from Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now Tumblr, has a lovely collection of Daredevil fan art, some of which even appeared on our Save Daredevil Con badges and t-shirts last year. Also joining us is Chris of the Marvelous Madams podcast at themarvelousmadams.com, where she and her co-host Amy provide listeners with a feminine take on the Marvel extended universe of films and shows. Welcome, guys. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi. (laughs) So today we're talking about Daredevil getting us through difficult times. And I'd like to start off with the inspiration for today's topic. On November 29th, as many of our listeners know, the two-year moratorium on the Daredevil TV series officially ended. We coordinated a Save Daredevil tweet storm that day. And among Monique's many excellent tweets, she told a story about how Daredevil saved her life. It clearly resonated with some members of the fandom because when we were discussing it several days later, Monique said to me, you know how many people I had reach out to me last week? So without further ado, let's hear Monique's story. So during our tweet storm, um, I decided to share my origin story with Daredevil, if you will. And... It was a bit nerve-wracking to do, actually, because having to admit that you've been through a difficult time is always hard to do. But I kind of knew that our fandom was a safe place to share that story. And when I did share it, I was so surprised and so humbled by the fact that there were so many other people who had stories that were very similar to mine. And loads of people um, even came to me for advice, and I thought that was fantastic. So back in 2017, my health took a really bad dip and I had no idea what was going on with my body at all. I was just tired all the time. I had limbs that weren't moving properly and I I lost my job because I couldn't work because of the pain I was in. And I very quickly became a little science experiment for every doctor I was going to see because nobody could figure out what was wrong with me and it became an elimination process. I got very low very quickly and before I knew it I was in a very dark place where I was borderline suicidal and I didn't know how to handle it at the time and nothing seemed to be working with it not even therapy. I was very lucky that a friend suggested to me uh, to watch Daredevil and it sounded really silly at the time to be introduced to a tv show while you're going through such a dark uh, period in your life but I've never felt so connected with anything like I did with Daredevil. It really helped pick me up. Is it, do you think that's, is that why they suggested it? Because yeah. they thought that you'd relate to the character? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was going through changes with my body um, where I started having to use splints and aids. And mm-hmm. the walking stick was one that really bothered me. Um, I'd never needed anything like that before in my life. And suddenly I was, you know, 20 four-year-old that had to use walking stick and it's Mm -hmm. very unusual you know I've had so many people stop me in the street and go you're too young for that why do you have that (sighs) and I became very uncomfortable with it very quickly and it kind of became silly in a way because 
I knew I needed the walking aid, but I'd rather not use it. And that was a very negative attitude to have towards something that's quite normal. And my friend recognized that and he saw that perhaps I would find some kind of connection with Matt Murdock. And seeing him, um, because I knew he was blind, but I, I didn't think he was blind blind, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope that makes sense in a way. Yeah. And um, seeing him actually use his stick, and he, I mean, he does it really cool, let's admit, just made me feel like it was fine to use mine. Yeah, it's like in the first episode when he says, you know, don't apologize. Don't apologize for, well, he said for what you lack, but just don't apologize for being different. You know, I can understand that. My uh, sister had an autoimmune disease and um, she had a couple of other things going on too and was on a boatload of medications, um, a lot of steroids, and she gained a whole lot of water weight. When we could get her out of the house and go someplace, it was hard for her to get around and people would look at her. She worried that they were judging her like she just wasn't taking care of herself. The occasional comments about food or exercise or whatever were not helpful. And so, yeah, I mean, she, she didn't want people to be looking at her like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that completely. And, you know, it, it slowly did escalate into that kind of situation where I wouldn't leave the house. And I wasn't doing anything either when I lost my job. I wasn't even studying at the time. And um, watching Daredevil, believe it or not, even made me go back to university. Because it made me feel so comfortable with who I was. It was it definitely acceptance. I found acceptance through another character. And it definitely empowered me. That is so cool. Thank you. Chris's story is not just about the positive impact Daredevil has had on her life, but the larger MCU as well. Yeah, so uh, like Monique, I also have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, uh, as well as Hashimoto's disease, which is autoimmune hypothyroidism. So I was not diagnosed with the EDS until I was 32. I got the Hashimoto's disease diagnosis, uh, happy 30th birthday, that one. Um, so that's just within, you know, the last couple of years, I actually got the diagnosis. The symptoms started back in 1999. I was 12. I just started middle school and, uh, the issue started just in one wrist. That's all it took. It was my right wrist and everything snowballed out from there. I couldn't move it properly. I was in pain for weeks. And, you know, like Monique said too, we become a little science experiment. All these different specialists focused in on their own specialty. Oh, it's reflux dystrophy syndrome. Oh, it's this other random, you know, joint condition that no one's ever heard of that only affects that joint or all these x-rays and tests and they can't find anything structurally wrong with my risks, but I'm in tears, you know, because it, it hurts so much. And then the pain started spreading to all my joints to the point where I was on crutches which also hurt just to use because I became like one giant bruise all over my body, just one giant tender point. And then my brain really started to fail. I just couldn't function at a basic level. And, uh, you know, at that age, at that time, all the teachers, uh, they just assumed I was faking to get out of work. So it was a hell of a time. Uh, I had so many misdiagnoses over the years. First, uh, first one was, uh, it was fibromyalgia. And at that time, things have changed now. And 
Monique, I'm sure you can, you know, speak to this. It's changed now, but fibromyalgia used to be a catch-all for a woman we can't figure out. So let's just say she has this. We won't explain it. We won't give you any ideas for treatment. Get 30 minutes of exercise every day. You'll be fine. So I ended up for years, you know, basically killing myself by doing what the doctors told me to do. Like Monique had mentioned, we don't want to use that adaptive equipment sometimes because of the way people look at us, because of the judgment. For me, it was accommodations at school. It was using the elevator, having a special pass for that instead of the stairs, having two sets of books when nobody else did. And it created resentment and jealousy amongst the other kids. It created annoyance with the teachers who were like, well, you look fine. Why the hell do you need this? And it was just a nightmare at times. Eventually, I would be uh, diagnosed with bulging discs, which definitely were real. I had all kinds of joint problems, bursitis, and basically my spinal cord was backwards. I ended up in chiropractic traction for over a year. And that chiropractor was kind of like my stick because this guy saved my life, like no question. He fixed me enough so that I could function, so that I could go to college. Because, you know, at 12, doctors told me, you're probably not going to go to college, kiddo. Uh, If you do, it will probably be in a wheelchair. And, you know, hearing that at 12 is basically a death sentence. Not even from a a shame point of view. There's nothing wrong, of course, like Monique said, with, with being in a wheelchair. It wasn't even that. It was like, that's too terrifying to contemplate. And that's not an option for me. So all through those teen years, I was just doing everything in my power to try and improve my life, to figure out what was going on with my body. And you know, this chiropractor came along and he fixed me so much. I could function, I could go to college, but I have really mixed feelings about him, just like Matt has for stick. He saved my life, but turns out he wasn't the best guy because he was one of those, I've cured you guys. I've, I've cured this fibromyalgia they said you had. And, oh, that's a, that's a tough thing because he certainly didn't because I didn't have it. <laughs> and, you know, It was something else. But yeah, all through my 20s, then on and off symptoms, this crazy constellation of issues that I didn't know were symptoms. And it was finally at 30, they figured out the thyroid problem. Then the EDS came along. And, you know, there's something to be said about that validation. You know, it's to know I wasn't crazy. I wasn't looking for attention because they, they put that in your head. They get to you. And it's like it's whole, a whole other level of trauma that the doctors are putting you through, ping-ponging you back and forth and then just going, you know, come on, get some exercise. You'll cheer right up. You're just, you're just feeling draggy because you're depressed and angsty. and You even start questioning yourself. Yeah. They, they, they gaslight you. Mm-hmm. They make it sound like you're crazy to the point you actually say to yourself, Am I actually crazy? Am I feeling this? Or am I being over-exaggerating it? Like, am, am I legit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, interestingly, um, you know, I didn't hear about EDS until about five years ago. And now I know, like, two different families in two different states that have multiple kids 
uh, that have been diagnosed with EDS. And that was, you know, before I met you guys, and this was supposed to be such a rare thing. And I'm like, how do I know all these people? But every story is the same about this odyssey they had to go through um, with the doctors. Yeah, I literally had a cardiologist say to me when he was asking about symptoms, because I mentioned the, the thyroid condition, and he goes, oh, I don't need to know about all that metabolic, metabolic stuff. I'm just here for your heart. Um, did you miss the, the day in medical school where they said everything's connected? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like Thanks. the Marvel Universe. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That is, <laughs> see, that's the thing. Is that's really cheesy, yes. but it's really right. It's absolutely true. Well, we put out a call for stories from the fandom without fear. Uh, we figured, you know, if people were... Um, contacting Monique about her Twitter thread. Surely there were people that might want to share their stories with us. So I separated these into categories. We got a lot of responses. Um, our first category is anxiety. And this one's from somebody who chose to remain anonymous. And the story is, this month hasn't been great for me. I had a lot of anxiety about anything and everything. Putting on an episode of Daredevil was one of the only things that have given me time to relax and forget about all of my anxiety. I can totally relate to this. Um, we have a lot of crazy things going on in our household right now, personally, and it's going to be a rough January. It's going to be rough till like July, August around here. So, you know, Marvel is that thing in my life that can take me away from all that. And having the hype and the rumors and everything for WandaVision coming up, it's helping me so much. And I had told Monique this when she was on our podcast last week, but that night of uh, Disney Investor Day, when all of that information came out. So three days before that, my acupuncturist, uh, I gave up on doctors 18 months ago, and I started going to acupuncture and, and Chinese medicine. Uh, he gave me this supplement and to take twice a day. My body wasn't quite ready for it twice a day. And I was having like some detox symptoms that were making things a little crazy for me. <laughs> Between all of that news coming out at seven o'clock at night, the trailers and that supplement, my hands were shaking. I'm trying to tweet this information out. My thumbs wouldn't work. I'm like, <laughs> sweating, trying to, you know, deal with it all. It's leveled out since, thankfully. But there's nothing that can take me away from it all than just diving into a Marvel movie or an old series, you know? Yeah, well, and, and I think, like, with this months of this pandemic, I think a lot of people have been able to relate to that. You know, there, there's just so much news on and, and that can really uh, fill up your brain in a bad, bad way. And, you know, I was looking at some statistics the other day, TV watching, streaming, all that kind of stuff went up, you know, it like doubled in some places because of the pandemic. I mean, some people were watching videos on how to make bread, but, you know, Netflix and a lot of the other and a lot of the other streamers were, were doing great because people just wanted to escape. And I was looking at some mental health resources the other day, the National Alliance on Mental Health and the National Alliance on Mental Health in Colorado, one of their other locations. They both in a list of, hey, here's our COVID list on how to take care of your mental health. And among those, 
Yeah, virtual activities to do together. Watch the same movie or TV show as someone else and talk about it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there were so, there have been so many rewatch parties. We've had, in Save Daredevil Con, we had some rewatch parties there. Um, comicbook.com hosted several rewatches. One of them was even a Daredevil episode, and they had Eric Olson available there on Twitter. And I think that's been a lifesaver for a lot of people to not, you know, not only have that escape, but also connect with other people. Yeah, without that, I don't know where I'd be right now because, I mean, that's that's the reason Amy and I started the podcast is because that's what we wanted to do. And without that, there is no way I would have gotten through these this last year with my sanity. No way. So did you start the podcast before COVID or after? Amy and I met just when things started to get serious, just uh. when the world started to go, hmm. <laughs> Maybe we yeah. should um, start thinking about how this is going to affect us. Um, and we started, we went live with the podcast on April 4th, Robert Downey Jr.'s birthday. Oh, yeah. Still in, under the category of anxiety. Heather shared something. I'm going to read an excerpt. I have generalized anxiety, and last year I was diagnosed with a fairly severe case of anemia. I referred to both as my personal kingpins and reminded myself that neither of them were as scary as he is. And if Daredevil could beat Fisk, then I definitely could manage these. So I did what I had to do, and I listened to professional advice regarding both of these. I'm learning how to manage my anxiety better than I was, and I'm proud to say that my anemia is under control to the point where I am no longer considered anemic, though that's still being monitored. I guess I can say there's one kingpin down. Uh, that story reminded me of how sometimes when I feel overwhelmed by a problem, I stop and ask myself, okay, what's the best possible outcome and what's the worst possible outcome? And that usually brings it down to a manageable size. I'm not like paralyzed with fear over it. It makes me realize that the problem's actually smaller than what my feelings are telling me. It, it makes it possible for me to address it and um, also reminds me that I have to address it because even not addressing it is a way of addressing it. Uh, it's usually associated with the worst possible outcome. So it's better if I just make a list of, okay, here are the different ways I can tackle this problem. And so, you know, when she talked about saying, hey, Matt had a worse problem. My problem is smaller than his. If he can handle it, I can handle it. And I like that. Another little mantra I have for myself is for every problem, there's a solution. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And sometimes it actually just comes down to reframing it as something other than a problem, mm. as looking at it as, in a different way. Yeah, and there's such good imagery there because they've taken something that you can't see and you can't feel what well, you can feel it but not physically feel it you know and you can't take any frustrations out on it but the imagery of having it as like fisk i really like that because it, then you've kind of got this <laughs> this little visual thing in your head like okay this is a block this is what i'm going to remove okay so those were our two under the anxiety category um we had a whole bunch that I would categorize as just dealing with, with miscellaneous adversity. Our first one comes from, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but uh, Vibhav, uh, he or she said, I started looking upon Daredevil from the moment I finished the first episode of season one. After that, I started to find the man without fear in me. In my tough times, I remembered how Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock used to face the difficulties and how he overcame them which gave me a huge inspiration and made me overcome the problems of my life by building up faith in myself. This show is not just a show for me. 
It's part of my life that is so valuable to me. I can't wait to see the show revive back, thanks to Save Daredevil for keeping the hopes alive. I know I will be the happiest when I get the confirmation of Charlie Cox's Daredevil returning soon. We all feel you there. Um, so I believe uh, both of you wanted to talk about this one. Yeah. Um, I think this one was so relatable to me, purely because it's taking a character and kind of seeing yourself within the character. And I think a lot of people watch TV shows to zone out or to distract themselves. Um, for me, it was actually trying to see myself in someone so I didn't feel like I was alone. And I think in this particular instance with inspiration, I do see myself as a bit of a Matt Murdock, which could yeah. be a negative and it could be a positive. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but sometimes you do do things where you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And you hurt yourself, but, you know, at least you did it. Um, but definitely with the sense of finding strength within yourself because you've seen that in someone else. For me, that's mm. so relatable. And I think that's so important because I think he does that for a lot of people. I think a lot of people look at Matt and then see how he is with Daredevil and see that, you know, sometimes we do get knocked down really hard, but we can get back up. And that's such an important message in that. Yeah, I really, when it comes to overcoming adversity, I really resonate with young Matt. And I don't know if I've seen that kid since, but what a great little actor he was. I think I resonate with him more as a kid because my problems started when I wasn't much older than he was. And that scene, the scene that really gets me is Matt, when he's in the orphanage, uh, it's in the stick episode in season one. And when he's just writhing around on the bed because he can't stand the noise, all the stimulation. I relate to that so very much. Uh, if my husband was here right now, he would be rolling his eyes because he knows <laughs> he has to he has to have headphones on all the time downstairs because I can't have two audio sources going. If I have a podcast on or the TV, he has to have headphones on. I can't hear his music. I can't hear anything with any kind of bass in it. It goes through me. But like last week here in San Antonio, it was fireworks central because God forbid people here, they don't have their guns and their fireworks. What are they going to do? <laughs> they lose their minds. So just all of those little things, the silk sheets, like I get it. I so get the silk sheets. One day I will have them. One day when we can afford it, I will have satin or silk sheets and end up probably flying and like ending up on my ass on the floor, but that's okay. I'm just picture <laughs> going, they will be mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he, Stick did come to him, but it was Matt's choice whether or not to train with him. It was entirely Matt's choice to be a victim. Mm -hmm. or to stand up and do something positive. And that is incredibly difficult to do at any age, let alone as a child, as an orphaned child. Yeah. Okay, let's see. The next one um, Chris wanted to talk about from Merrick. Fall of 2018 was my freshman year of college, and it was definitely a big season of change in my life, and I was being tested and challenged in a lot of ways, which sadly led to me making some bad decisions. Thankfully, Daredevil Season 3 came out and gave me a refreshing look on life, and my faith was strengthened in new ways, and I've continuously gone back to the show in times of hardship. 
I'm much healthier and stronger now, and the road to that definitely started when the season was released in October of that year. I think we can all agree that Matt Murdock is one of the great kings of self-destruction. You know, we've talked about so much through season one, Amy and I, about how he just does not make the healthiest of choices. And all that Catholic guilt inside of him is a big part of that. And he's got a lot of self-loathing in there. And chronic illness can be the same way. Pain can lead to desperation and making some very, not necessarily poor choices. I don't want to say poor because a lot of times we're doing what we think is best. Just like Matt, you know, we're doing what the so-called experts tell us to do. Or we're doing something because, well, we've tried everything else and that hasn't worked. You know, around that time, fall 2018, I was trying to exercise way too hard. I had, I was so excited that I was able to again at all and went too hard. I'm still recovering from it. Just had this, you know, conversation with my acupuncturist yesterday of how still recovering from adrenal fatigue. And you got to be careful because you can't really battle back because then you're going to end up in the same predicament all over again. You just have to work with your body and go at the pace that it sets. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, my sister taught me about spoon theory, you know, how many spoons you have for, oh, yeah. for different tasks, you know, how your spoon allocation for the day. But, you know, there were things she wanted to do because she spent so much time at home. And there was this one year she she was insisting on taking me out for my birthday. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I can bring something over here. We can hang out, watch a show. And she was like, no, I, I want to take you to like, what's your favorite place? And she was not going to take no for an answer. And at the time, I mean, I knew it was going to put a ding in, you know, how she was feeling. I knew it was going to take a certain number of spoons. She loaded up on some medication. I don't know what it was beforehand. We had a nice time. But she was like out of commission for a couple of days after that. She really paid the price for that. She, she didn't regret it. She never said a word about it. I felt kind of bad, but I'm like... I'm not going to guilt her over this because she really wanted to do it and we had a good time. And why should I guilt her for something that she was, will she was willing to pay the price for it? You know, I get it. You know, the, the part of me that wants her to take care of herself kind of wanted to wag my finger at her, but, <laughs> but I figured that would be unhelpful because it would just be reminding her of, you know, I, I see all your limitations and she just wanted to be my sister and not somebody who is being cared for. Yeah. And it could, it could be that she planned for it. That she knew that was going to happen. That's she, something she we did. have to keep in mind. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah, that we, she, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was going to, you know, what kind of toll it was going to take on her. Um, so it was a surprise to me. And so it, it maybe. but then again, you know, if she would have tried to prepare me for it, I probably would have said, let's not go. And she wasn't going to take that out. You know, she's, she was my older sister. She doesn't, she doesn't take stuff from me. Yeah, I actually have a spoon tattoo on my calf. It's a spoon slash Marvel tattoo. How, a spoon slash Marvel tattoo. How does that go? <laughs> yes. So on one end, it's a spoon and the other end is an arrow. And it's purple and red, purple for the spoon portion and to signify uh, chronic illness. And then red at the arrow portion for a warrior symbol. And underneath it says, uh, I'm with you till the end of the line. And oh, that's cool. that is a promise to myself, a promise to my body. And, and don't make me stab you with my spoon. <laughs> 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 okay, let's see. Uh, the next category is physical health. 
The first story we have is from Betsy. Uh, she said, I live with a disability that can cause pain. An accident several years ago made it worse, and I spiraled. Read the arc where Matt's in the hospital in chronic, constant pain, learns to walk again, overcome his fear. It was like getting slapped in the face. Long story short, because of that comic, I learned to walk again, learned to fight through the pain again, and even took up martial arts again, even though I thought I never would. And I think you both had something to say about this. Yeah, I think so. I think just because it's so, again, so relatable. Um, with Matt in this particular uh, run of comics, he's so negative to begin with, you know? And I do think you find this a lot with Matt as well. He kind of starts off with, no, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> and then he always ends up doing it anyway and getting back up. And I, I often think that when we have um, flare-ups or periods where we are really in a lot of pain, we do go through that in ourselves where we kind of sit there and go, no, I'm done. I'm not doing that again. I don't want to get back up. But a couple of days later, we do that thing where we go, yeah, I'm okay now. Let's try that again. And it's kind of inevitable. It, I, I don't like using that word. It makes me think of Thanos. Um, but it is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> because you will get back up and you will keep going. And I think in that particular comic, which I read not so long ago, actually, it's very bizarre. It kind of reminded me that sometimes you have to learn to do things a bit differently. And sometimes you do have to face things you don't want to face. And in this particular one, it was fear. And I feel like there was loads of anxiety in there as well and pain. And with chronic illnesses, that's something you're constantly fighting. And it, again, he's just so empowering because with seeing someone else go through that and someone deal with that, you learn how to deal with it. Like Matt, we have to be constantly reinventing ourselves. Because yeah. our bodies, our symptoms, everything is changing all the time. This happens to us so many times where, like Monique said, we flare, we heal. We flare, we heal. And I mean, I learned to swim at 32 years old. Wow. Because, yeah, I still can't ride a bike, but I tell myself it's definitely best I do not ride a bike. I do not need to be <laughs> on a bike ever. But yeah, I learned to swim because I'm like, okay, this is something I can do. This might actually, the buoyancy, like this will actually help me. And I ended up going way too hard with it. Even before COVID, I had to stop swimming because Monique, you're going to, you're going to just shake your head at me. I thought it would be a wise thing to try and swim a mile a day. <laughs> you see, that's the thing, right? We, we finally <laughs> stop doing something and then we get overexcited with it. Because we yep. think we can handle it. And then yep. there's that moment in you where you're like, I'm better now, I can do this. And you completely uh -huh. forget what it's going to do to you in the long run. Every yep. single time. And because the boundaries keep moving. The goalposts keep moving all the time. Our limits and boundaries are just constantly changing. And the problem is, in order to find the new boundary, you have to go past it to know where it is. And that, you know, can be two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, when you were talking about that cycle of flaring and, you know, getting back up and flaring and getting back up, you know, Monique, you drew um, a little superhero version of yourself. Do, yes. you, do you have a name for her? I don't, yeah. I'm kind of, I want to work on something um, Zebra related for her, for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah. no, she hasn't got a definite name yet. Well, and, and you said one of her, or her, her big skill is she has a very high pain tolerance, right? Yeah. And so when you were saying that about that, that cycle, I pictured her standing there, you know, putting up her dukes and going, ding, ding, let's go again. <laughs> you know? yeah, she gets I wonder knocked where down. she got that 
from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I love the way uh, you designed her costume because I believe you said that people with EDS a lot of times refer to themselves as zebras. And you said that she, her outfit was like reverse zebra. But I recognize those little light spirals on her black costume. Those remind me of those little splints that look like really like artsy rings that you wear on your fingers. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. Yeah. You know, you know, quite a lot of people picked up on that. And I was quite surprised because it, and it's a great thing because I think I've accidentally made people more aware of what we go through and what kind of um, splints and what kind of support we have. But having people come back to me and say that, like, wow, that's so cool. You've added all these splints for her. And just having someone say it's cool was really important because from a perspective of having to use those things, I don't feel very cool when I have to. But then having someone from the outside go, that's really cool. It suddenly doesn't make it such a big deal. Well, and honestly, those, those splints on your fingers, I, those... I wouldn't even think they were splints. They really did look like rings, some kind of interesting artsy rings, you know? It, it never yeah. would have occurred to me. To the credit of the manufacturers, they are designed to look that way. Um, let's see. The next uh, story I have is from Cecilia. For seven years, from 2010 to 2017, I suffered from severe painful attacks that felt just like heart attacks, but no doctor anywhere could explain it. My heart and EKG was fine. I cried myself to sleep wondering if I would have to be that sick for the rest of my life. Watching Daredevil was a light in the darkness. Finally, by chance, they discovered an adrenal gland tumor. The doctor who found it said it's a scandal it wasn't found earlier, and it's a miracle I'm still alive, since this kind of tumor often ends with a stroke. After the surgery, during which I had another attack, which was very hard for the doctors to stop, the attacks finally did stop. It was such a relief. Lying in my bed at home, I looked just like Daredevil with all my surgery wounds and stitches and bandages, and I remember saying to my fiancé, I'm cool like Daredevil now, because I also have been kicking this tumor's ass, and I survived. So Chris wanted to talk about this one. Yeah, so the same thing actually happened to me. Uh, no adrenal tumor, but I had maybe, I want to say like a year ago, I had these crazy attacks for several nights in a row where it was terrifying. I thought I was having a heart attack. My heart was just pounding out of my chest and I was so scared. I was too scared to even like wake my husband and be like, this is terrifying. I don't know what to do. It turned out, and this is one of those examples of potentially good choice, potentially helpful advice gone wrong. I was doing intermittent fasting. And while it went well for about two months, it's really not recommended. It's not sustainable for somebody with a thyroid condition. Um, and combined with the EDS, I have a lot of uh, problems with electrolytes. And what was happening was my body could not retain salt. And these attacks were happening because of a major electrolyte imbalance. As soon as I stopped the intermittent fasting, it stopped. Uh, but it was really terrifying. And that was from the advice of my acupuncturist who has saved my life, who I trust more than anyone. It just like, it was good. Some, uh, the fasting went well, some weight came off that needed to come off, but I went on with it just for a little bit too long. And there you go, you know, finding a boundary the hard way. That's the story of our lives. You're like the little Jurassic Park velociraptors that keep running up against the fence to see where the, where the weak spots are. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny you say that because I actually, uh, our wild child who's downstairs, thankfully asleep right now, 
I always joke that she is like a velociraptor. Her face, she got the crazy eye. <laughs> and she reminds me of that so much. I'm going to have to tell my husband that later. I should mention this is a dog, not a child. No one think I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought you were talking about a child. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just a, an absolute maniac of a dog who is too smart for her own good. Well, let's see. I've got uh, the next one is from Paul. Back in July 2019, I was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer. By September, I was undergoing chemotherapy treatment, which was followed in February and March by seven weeks of radiotherapy. During this time, I remained positive as I had constant contact with my work colleagues and medical staff. However, by the end of March, the UK was in lockdown due to COVID and all contact effectively ceased. I became isolated as a clinically vulnerable person, and this led me to becoming depressed and extremely low and uncertain about my health. During this time, I rediscovered Daredevil. Although I'd seen the first two seasons with everything that had been happening in 2018 and 2019, I had not seen season three. I lost one of my brothers in 2018 to a work accident. Season three started in a very dark place and was, to my mind, very difficult to watch at times. As Matt struggled within himself to recover from the events of the Defenders, this mirrored my struggle with both the physical illness and the mental anxiety. However, what helped was the fact that Karen never gave up on him. She knew he was alive and would come back someday. As the season progressed, the descent continued. But in the episode Karen, uh, Matt's descent stopped as he made the decision it was better to save a life than to take one. This was also a turning point for me as I realized I needed to put the welfare of others before myself, although I had not neglected my own welfare. By taking that path, it helped me become more positive and drew me out of my own downward spiral. I had stopped caring about whether I recovered or not, and on some days literally thought, let me die today. Daredevil gave me the strength to go on and offer support to others. I have two things to say about this one. I love what he said about focusing on supporting others. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say was, I saw the same thing with my sister. So as an adult, she was diagnosed with all these different things um, and developed a couple of other medical issues, which eventually caused her to become homebound, as I mentioned before. And the times that she appeared to be the most down were when she felt like everybody was doing things for her, but she wasn't seeing her own contributions to those relationships. Because she, she would get in kind of these, these moods, you know, where she was just thanking me for everything, like I was doing something immensely charitable. And it's like, cut it out. So she really needed to be reminded that she was one of my favorite people in the world. I noticed a parallel there because Matt doesn't often acknowledge what he brings to the table in his relationships. And, you know, what that comes down to really is redefining value for yourself. In a lot of ways... Society defines to people what is valuable. And we have to just kind of turn that on its head and reapply it to our own lives. I drove myself crazy with that too for years when I couldn't work. And, you know, when you don't have children to take care of, you know, and, and even still, like plenty of stay-at-home moms are seen as not doing valuable work, at least, you know, in the Amen. United States. It's, cha <laughs> it's changed, but when you don't have children and you're not working, oh boy, that's even worse. And you know, you're of an age where it's like, well, what the hell are you doing? And you can't really explain to people what's wrong. It 
makes you feel less than. And it's so important to have people in your life who are still there to tell you, no, you are still a valuable human being who is worthy of love, who is worthy of good things and happiness. It can cause us to overcompensate. Mm -hmm. It can cause you to be really quiet about what you're going through too. Because my sister Absolutely. felt like she didn't, she's like, I'm going to drive people away. If I'm honest about my pain, how I'm feeling, I'm going to slap a smile or a neutral expression on my face. And I'm going to power through this because nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants sure. to hear this. I'm a drag. That's what she would tell herself. I experienced that firsthand because when, um, when I first started going through my problems, I lost so many friends. It kind of brought the truth out in people which was an ugly truth that I really didn't want to see at the time. Because a lot of the time you're in pain and you need someone to talk to and you realize that some people out there just don't want to hear it. They just think that you're not helping yourself. And it becomes very destructive because you start developing this attitude where you start pushing people purposely away from you. Because just not like only are you, <laughs> Yeah. Not only are you scared of hurting people because of the way you are, but I think you're also scared of getting hurt. And I think it's better to cut people off yourself then have them drop you yeah I absolutely experienced this um back in college I was doing well I had seen that chiropractor when I was about 17 and so I was functioning very well I was a top student in college thinking I was doing well I was quite delusional about my health at that point and things started going downhill again the final semester of my senior year in college. And uh, speaking of terrible decisions, I had gotten married when I was 21 to a, an awful, abusive human being. And when I started having medical issues again, bad ones, and all of these crazy symptoms, well, one day he looked at me and said, I didn't sign up for this. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I was out of that relationship within the next six months. So that was the yeah. positive thing about that. But I am very fortunate to now have a husband who has been incredibly supportive in every possible way. That support system, it absolutely makes all the difference. We have to be careful about letting the right people in, but we've got to find them. The next category is depression. Our first story is from Sebastian. Uh, Daredevil has helped me get through a lot of tough moments, especially last year where I was going through a depression, and I rewatched the entire series and it motivated me to go and work out. I believe Chris wanted to talk about this one. Yeah, just in general, being motivated by amazing content that we see. For me, it was Captain Marvel. Uh, that was a big movie. And you know, that's, I've seen it, I think I saw it twice in theaters. I've seen it once since then, so three times. I think I haven't watched it more than that because I'll cry. It's just kind of too close to my own heart sometimes to get through because here is this woman who doesn't know that she's been shackled for God knows how many years. She's had these limits placed on her without having any clue. And she breaks through these constraints. And there are a lot of ways that this could have been a negative for her, that it could have been a major downer. Like her life was stolen. Everything she'd been told was a lie. Just there were so many ways for her to spiral, but she didn't. 
she broke out of those chains, kicked Jude Law's ass, you know, and <laughs> just became everything I ever wanted to be. You've just made me see that film in a whole different light. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, honestly, I've watched that film and it was, it was kind of one of those ones I watched and I thought, okay. But now just hearing you speak about it, I'm like, I need to watch this again. I think I missed something really big. You just, just lit that up for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, you guys have done that for me with Daredevil too, because it had been some time since I watched the show. It had been since it came out in 2013. My husband and I were big fans of it then and had watched. Um, but I had been focusing more in on the MCU as a whole in recent years, I think probably because Daredevil was too dark and I just couldn't let myself go that dark. So looking at the MCU, there was so much there for me to relate to. Steve Rogers has become like such a kindred spirit to me in a number of ways, both like pre and post serum, Steve. Pre serum, obviously, because he had all those chronic issues but here's this guy who's being an absolute moron. Like, there's no question about it. He's <laughs> being a moron by trying to enlist in the army. Mm -hmm. Just like Matt is kind of being an idiot doing what he's doing in a lot of ways. And they're both but, very much, I could do this all day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. But there's still something so noble about it that you can't mm -hmm. help but love them. And then I don't know how many times you guys have seen um, the first Captain America, but Post serum, it's like healing for us. It's like a healing period after a flare. You see him, he has no idea how to work that new body of his. He's uncomfortable. Chris Evans does such a great job in portraying it. He, he's running crazy because he's running past things. He doesn't know how his body moves yet. He doesn't know what his own limits are. He doesn't, he's not used to having the strength and what he can do. And I so relate to that. Because we have to do that so often. He only had to do it once. I mean, yeah, he had a lot of other things to acclimate to. But as far as getting used to his body, he only had to go through that once. For us, it's a constant process. Well, and for, and, um, you know, as far as being experimental, he really didn't know how long that might last. Was he going to go back to the old Steve? That's an excellent point that I had never thought of. That's definitely never been broached. I would have been terrified. I would have been terrified if I were him. I'd be like, nope, I can't get used to this. I can't get comfortable because it could just go away in the morning. And then I'm just going to be that guy. So if I get an ego, I'm asking for it, you know? And we experience that so many times. I mean, how many times I've gone through a long healing period where I'm like terrified it's going to happen again. That was my entire college life. Yeah. Of being so scared because I had lost my brain before. And I had, my whole identity as a kid was I'm the smart kid. I'm the book smart kid who gets straight A's. And when my brain stopped functioning, that was like a total identity crisis. So to have that happen again, my final semester of college, I just, I was unglued. And yeah, then that's part I, of your identity. It's just. <laughs> yeah. And then I went through another period. It's like they found the bulging discs. I went through all this physical therapy where they should have found it then because they were like, why does your hip do this? This isn't normal, but didn't think anything of it. Um, so, yeah, just so many periods of these where, you know, we took like a super soldier serum of our own. Yeah. And don't quite know how it's going to work out. The next category uh, is a little darker. Um, it touches on uh, suicidal thoughts. 
The first comment or the first story is from Kachowski. They said, seeing Matt come to terms with what was essentially suicidal thoughts in season three really hit me. The allegory for him crossing the line into murder being spiritual suicide for him was beautifully told, showing a constant struggle that I think we've all faced at some point in our lives. That we too can go over the line we never imagined crossing, as it feels like it's the only way. When in reality, we need to all take a step back and see the possibility of overcoming that struggle through other means. That the easiest path is not the right one, morally or spiritually. That we all have the power to remain true to ourselves and still accomplish our goals, dreams, and desires. That's what Daredevil helped me to see and got me through. And Monique wanted to talk about that one. Yeah, season three for me, it's, it will always be my favorite season of Daredevil. I, I, even if they make more or I, I just know for a fact that that season's going to stay with me forever when it actually came out I was stuck in bed because I had snapped my ACL and I actually remember today watching it I binge watched it all day because I was stuck in bed I actually had to stop because I had to go for an MRI and I was gutted that I actually had to go for this MRI to because <laughs> I wanted to finish watching Daredevil but at that period in my life was the worst I've ever been and it, it was weird because it was a couple years after I had gotten quite sick but I think it, it got to this point where I had still no idea what was going on with me and still not moving forward and when it just felt like I had started to move forward something went really wrong that is the first time in my life I actually acknowledged the fact that I was severely depressed and it got quite bad to the point where I even had to tell my doctor, I was like, I don't know how to tackle this anymore. I just feel really awful. And I was really contemplating not being around anymore. And it's so strange because the first episode um, of season three, Resurrection, hit me so hard. And it, it, was, it was so strange. It was kind of like God put it there on purpose. I don't know why it sounds strange, but no. it was like... Put it there right in front of me and said, Monique, watch this. Understand what's going on inside of you, because it's exactly how I felt. And I've even drawn it, actually. There's that one bit where Matt is on his knees in the middle of the street, and he's like, God, forgive me. He, he just wants out. He's had enough. And I felt that so hard. And it, that is one episode I will always come back to, to remind myself that sometimes we actually do get that low, but we will get through it. And that was so important to me because, as I said, it really, really hit hard. Mm -hmm. The next one is from Roman. I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from this. I was in high school and a group of my classmates with whom I used to hang out began to mistreat me to the point of seeking to make me commit suicide. Every day in school was the worst. I tried everything. Go to the principal. Try to make a stop. My parents did too, but they just had to continue bullying me so hard. For the other hand, my personal life was falling apart too. I'm a Marvel comic fan, so Matt was familiar to me, and I started to watch Daredevil and fell into it. Everything was beautiful, real, and serious, like Nolan, and I really get to love these characters. Matt's fight with the crime was noble, but what really helped to get through with those difficult times was Matt's fight with his interior. I was really touched. It made me feel like somehow I wasn't alone and that I only had to have hope. Eventually, my life got better. Not much as I wanted, but it's fine. I proved to myself that I could beat this. Daredevil is a symbol of hope and an example of how we can and must fight and beat our demons and personal battle. 
Talk to people. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell them how you feel and tell them what's happening to you. You deserve to be heard. Help people and let you help. Be optimistic always. That really stood out to me because uh, I endured several years of bullying in middle school and high school. Uh, small town, you're a little different, and it doesn't always go over well. This was before the wonderful age of the internet, so I felt really, really stranded. Going to school, sometimes in my head, I called it the cage match, because I was stuck with these people. There wasn't another school to go to. You talk to the counselor, you talk to the principal, you talk to your parents, they talk to the other kids' parents. Sometimes it made it worse. They just find a, a more secretive way to, you know, they're like, oh, well, we'll be more careful next time, so <laughs> we can't get busted. And I, I was in a very, very dark place, dark and bitter place. I was, you know, counting down the days to, to graduation. But, you know, there were days that, that I'd wake up and be like, oh, again, you know, it was like Groundhog Day. Sometimes I'm like, I got I to gotta get up and, and do this again, really? So just to, to anybody, I just wanted to say something to any, you know, teenagers that might be watching this and going through bullying, going through those horrible feelings. One, find a good counselor if you can. That is important. So, and you know, this kind of relates to me to Daredevil. Uh, I didn't know who Daredevil was back then, but I used TV and movies as an escape. Uh, they, they showed me that there was a whole world of people out there who were different than the people who were making my life hard. And once I was out of school, I knew I would have more control over where I went, who I was around. High school is, is such an artificial environment. You're not going to be in an environment like that again. There's so much more out there to experience. And, you know, it's funny because there were all these shows about somebody getting bullied and then becoming like the hero or whatever. And I'm like, OK, the rest of the world realizes that bullying is bad. <laughs> so so maybe once I'm out there in the quote unquote real world, um, I'll find some of these people who think it's rude to treat people this way. You think it's awful to treat people this way. And I might find other nerds like me. I, I also, this was back when Premiere Magazine was really new. And uh, they had these little perforated movie cards for all these upcoming movies. And so I used to take them out and collect them. And it would give me something to look forward to. Like I knew the TV schedule. I knew when new movies were coming about out. So having something that you look forward to is so important. It's like little, little goals. Something some people who just watch the show may not know is in the comics, Matt was bullied in school. Um, in fact, that's how he ended up getting the name Daredevil. Matt, he was being the good boy. He was being obedient. His dad told him, hey, use your head, not your fists. You don't get to fight people. Don't fight. And of course, the bullies at school thought that was kind of amusing that he didn't want to fight back. They thought he was being a weenie. So, so in the same spirit of calling a big guy tiny, <laughs> they started calling him Daredevil. And then later, he just owned that. So I, I like that story. But um, another thing, you know, when I was being bullied, I didn't have the internet. So find, find an online group of people who shares an interest with you, or a diagnosis, or a neurology. Um, there are a lot of different neurodiverse groups out, out there, um, a lot of fan groups. And I know some people like to think that friends on the internet are not real friends. 
But guess what? The pandemic turned all of your friends into internet friends, and they're just as real. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there for anybody who is currently dealing with bullying. It does get better. Hang in there. It does. And also, if you can find in school, you know, an ally, just one, a teacher or a coach. My my bullying in middle school didn't come from the other kids. They had questions, yeah, and they were a little like, ugh, she gets this, whatever. The bullying came from the teachers. <sighs> yeah. And my parents, to their credit, this one time did their best to try and deal with that situation. I was more protected in high school because my principal happened to be a family friend. But middle school, I was very much on my own dealing with a diagnosis I didn't understand, let alone could explain to these adults who were demanding an explanation from me. And my parents and I ended up having a conference with all five teachers. We did this, we were on teams. So all the teachers worked co cooperatively on a team. And four of them were real tight, best buddy, Jersey Shore type people, literally. And uh, they told me, after embarrassing me in front of the whole class, after giving me a hard time about accommodations, they told me I needed to have a thicker skin, um, that I was being too sensitive, all of this stuff. And one teacher, and her name was Miss Iguano. Miss Iguano, if you're listening to this by some chance, I don't know. Um, I, I hope you do. She sat there, didn't say a word the entire time. She just kept her head down and did not say one word. She was my last class of the day, and I was just in tears at that meeting, unable to speak for myself because I was just so upset, and they just didn't care. Get to my last class. She puts a post-it down on my desk that says, see me after class. I was shaking. I was so scared of what she was going to say to me, thinking she's going to just bite my head off because she looked so angry in that meeting, which she was, but it wasn't mm. at me. I come back to her class before I get on my bus, shaking, almost in tears, couldn't look at her. And instead of ripping into me, she sat down and put a hand over mine and said, are you okay? That's awesome. And I don't know what I would have done if she didn't do that. Just knowing that I had her on my side. I had somebody who believed me, who saw the kid inside, who was a good, smart kid, a people pleaser, which is the worst thing you can be when you have chronic illness as a people yeah. pleaser, who saw the real me inside. She got me through that year. And she only lasted another year at that school before she left that team and those awful teachers that I had. But yeah, find an ally, a t teacher, coach, whether it be, um, you know, sports for me, it was my drama teacher in high school. Find somebody who sees you for you, that you can confide in, that you can trust. Definitely. Well, our last category is grief. And th this topic was of interest to me because uh, about five months before season one came out, and, and I had read the comics, so I was really looking forward to, to Daredevil coming out. Um, I lost my sister about five months before season one came out. And like I said earlier, you know, she was my best friend. And this really, really hit me hard. And, and also around the time she passed away, we were also planning a big move to a different state. There was a lot going on. But grief is weird. You're going along fine, thinking, I'm adjusting to this, the whole new normal thing. 
And then all of a sudden, a tidal wave of emotion just crashes down on you. I've had to pull over and just cry. And I was still being ambushed by grief sometimes at that point. Um, I have my, my immediate family to talk to, but, you know, they lost her too. And also, they had the stress of having moved. We're at a new place. We don't really know anybody. We're trying to make friends and all that. It's just me. I, I worry about dumping too much when I'm like that because I am a deep well of emotion. I feel things like if everybody else is at a volume of like seven, I'm probably at an 11 out of 10. I just feel things very deeply. And so I didn't want to wear anybody out. You know, I, I could talk about it sometimes, but especially when you have a kid. Like I remember at one point my kid <laughs> said to me, Mommy, I think you ought to drink more liquids because I'm afraid that all the crying is going to dehydrate you. This was an eight-year-old. And I wasn't crying constantly, but he just noticed when I was, and he was concerned about me, you know? So when Daredevil came out, you know, I knew Matt's history. I didn't really think about it a whole lot. But when he got to the part where he lost his dad, I don't know, it got me... I remember thinking I would love to be able to just fast forward to five years from now after I've already adjusted, after, after this is more in the rearview mirror and I can just look back on the happy memories. And I guess watching Daredevil from the entertainment standpoint took up some of my bandwidth. So when I did start thinking about it as I was watching the show where he lost his dad, Part of my bandwidth was taken up with the entertainment, being happy to see Matt Murdock. So I had a little, I guess my grief feelings were a little less intense. And also, you know, Matt Murdock through the show, you see that he's already on the other side of a bunch of grief. He lost his dad. He thought he lost his mom. People he's cared about <laughs> have, have been lost. And I thought, you know, there really are other real people in life who have lost more than I have. And looking at Matt and thinking about people I knew who had lost people who were close to them, it was just nice to see somebody who had gotten on the other side of that. I mean, you knew they existed, but that just really kind of put it in my face and just made me go, I'm going to keep moving forward. It's, it's going to happen. But, he, you know, Matt was kind of my grief buddy. So I could put that on in the middle of the night, just watch it by myself with my earbuds in and have a good cry. Because, you know, Matt's a really good listener because he's fictional. <laughs> and so I can, I can have the ugliest of cries right there. I can dump all over him as much as I want, guilt-free. I have not burdened anybody with my problems. <laughs> and so as silly as that may sound, um, it helped me get through a hard time there. And, and Matt himself is quite the ugly crier, so you're in good company. He is. And I love that about the show. <laughs> I love that about the show, that he has real feelings. He's not the superhero, I'm going to pull a face, and you're not going to see a tear, you're not going to hear a whimper, and then it's over. You know, and he pulls himself together. The closest he gets to doing that is in Defenders when he's at the police station and mentions that, you know, he remembers that Stick died. You know, he just wakes up. And uh, he says something about stick, but then he's got to immediately take care of business. So he moves on. But, you know, like in the Nelson versus Murdoch episode, season one, they're both very emotional. And I appreciate that they showed that, especially with men, because they tend not to do that with guys. People, sometimes some of the things that they take from entertainment aren't so healthy. And they, they think people, men need to be stoic and in charge all the time. And it's really nice to see them 
be vulnerable, like when Matt uh, in season one is talking to Karen and realizes he's been trying to do this all on his own. And he breaks down and she gives him a hug and says, you were never alone. He thought he was because he tried to keep everybody else out of it. And I think that's important for people to acknowledge. Um, so I've gone through a different kind of grieving process when it comes to chronic illness. And this is another way that Steve Rogers is such a kindred spirit to me. There's fan fiction that I started reading a few months ago. Amy is sorry she ever got me into fan fiction, let me <laughs> tell you. I warned her. I tried to warn her she was creating a monster, but she didn't listen. This fanfic, it's from Archive of Our Own, and it's called To Be Redeemed. And it's super, super long. I think the author is still writing it. But I've reread most, like a lot of it, a bunch of times now. And I, I keep going back to it. It's very well written. So well done. And there's a part where I won't mention names because for anybody who wants to read, I won't give away any spoilers, but Steve is beginning to move on with his life and he's out to dinner and at a jazz club with his partner and they're having a lovely time. He's got his arm around this person and he says, this is the last time I'm going to grieve for the life I didn't have. And when I got you know, these diagnoses, it was the feeling of a life that had been stolen from me. You know, everybody has like a road not taken. Everybody can think of, you know, if they had made one choice, if they had made another, how would their lives have turned out differently? But for us, we go through a process of mourning this life that never existed, of mourning what could have been, what damn well should have been, we think. But like Foggy says, in season one, when him and Matt are trying to patch things up, we can't go back, but we can move forward. Or maybe it was Matt that said that to Foggy, I think. But point is, it's a fine balance because you have to allow yourself that process, that grieving process. It is like a death, the wondering, the what could have been, and the anger that comes with that, the anger of how did no one see this? For me, it was, how did no one see a 200 plus pound 12 year old and not think she had a thyroid problem? How did my mother not tell them my grandmother had a thyroid condition? How did they miss that? And, and with the EDS, knowing I was born with that and what could have been different? Mm -hmm. I mean, probably, probably the biggest thing is children. I don't want children. My husband doesn't want children. We're good there. But I've also known since I was 12 years old, that it probably wasn't in the cards for me. And I've known, I've known definitively medically since I was 21 that I could not have children. And I can't help but wonder how much that colored my feelings about it. You go through a process, this identity crisis of wondering how much of me is actually me and how much of it is influenced by this stuff happening in my body. And Coming to terms with that is really hard. There was a lot of therapy involved, a lot of reading of stuff like Wayne Dyer and all kinds of like spiritual stuff and EFT tapping. And, you know, I do I do meditation, too, like we've seen Matt do a lot, although I wish he would lean more to those Eastern traditions than the Catholic part of it. God yeah. knows that took me back a lot because I was raised Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's. You have to come to terms with it. You have to accept what is to a certain extent and just be grateful for what you have because that is a rabbit hole. If you go down too far, you can't find your way out. 
Yeah, well, and it's also, I think, very important for people around you, like, you know, your loved ones, to realize there is no wrong way to grieve. Everybody grieves differently for different lengths of time. It's a process you have to walk through. There is not a fast track. It's kind of like a a physical wound healing. I mean, you can put some medicine on it, but it's going to take however long it's going to take to heal, and you have to let people go through their own process. It's so unhelpful to tell somebody, you know, hasn't it been long enough? Sometimes people can say really unhelpful things, and and I know that it comes from a a place of caring. They're frustrated for you. They're thinking some tough love might, might get you out of it. Everything's right, okay? As long as you're not hurting anybody else or yourself, everything's right. It can be really hard to come to terms with because we also don't want to hurt the people we love. It was very hard for me because I love my husband more than anything in the world. So how, how could I say to him, gee, I wonder how things could have been different if I hadn't been sick? Because what if I'd never found him? What if it would have completely changed his life too? And, and is that in essence saying, I don't want this life with you. I wanted what could have been. It's a touchy thing to deal with. It's so hard to navigate. And there's a million ways to screw it up. Well, it's like when Sister Maggie said, if everybody got to go back and change things, we would never, ever move forward. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, that quote you were talking about, uh, it, well, Matt said this to, to Foggy, but he also said it to Karen at the end of season one. He said, a lot of decisions I'd give anything to go back and change, but I can't. None of us can. And, you know, and of course, that goes for other circumstances that not necessarily decisions, but things that happen to you. It's like I told Foggy, all we can do is move forward together. So on that note, this brings us to the end of the podcast. I wanted to thank Monique and Chris and the Fandom Without Fear for sharing your stories. Chris, where and when can we find the Marvelous Madams podcast? So you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. We're on every platform out there. Starting next week, we are officially moving our episode release days to Wednesday because we are slaves to Disney Plus now. (laughs) And uh, all the Disney Plus shows, it looks like, at least for a while, are going to be coming out on Friday. So catch our new episodes. We're going to be covering WandaVision every week, one episode at a time. Same for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Same for Loki. Very excited for that one in particular. Amy's rolling her eyes somewhere, wherever she is. She feels it. (laughs) Um, But you can follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. Um, New episodes of Talk Daredevil drop every Wednesday. We invite you to subscribe, like, rate, review and comment on our podcasts wherever you listen to them. Um, Make sure to follow us on any of our social media accounts. We are at Renew Daredevil on Twitter and Save Daredevil on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. So thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Talk Daredevil, the official podcast of the Save Daredevil campaign. For more information on Save Daredevil, please visit our website at savedaredevil.com. Remember, Murdoch's always get back up.